0: Log Talk Radio. This is Chief for Yourself. Now, here's Geo. Hi, welcome to chief for Yourself. Glad you're with us today, wherever you happen to be in the world at the moment. On Chief for Yourself, we champion the good chi, raise your vibration, and of course encourage you to live a genuine life. Well, there seem to be more metaphors about relationships than I can count, especially troubled relationships. For instance, uh, a relationship is like a minefield. If that describes your current relationship, you've come to the right place. Our guests today are Dr. Susan Campbell and Dr. John Gray, co-authors of 5-Minute Relationship Repair, quickly heal upsets, deepen intimacy, and use differences to strengthen love. At first glance, it seems too good to be true—relationship repair in five minutes. But you say that relationship repair should be quick. Now, uh, what are we doing wrong? Are we over-analyzing the relationship? Uh, do we have more of a need for speed? How does that work?
1: Well, John, when you said over-analyzing, that's one of the things we're doing. When people try to repair without and tools they wind up getting back into the argument explaining why the partner shouldn't be upset and that sort of thing whereas we really need to learn a skill for boiling it down to real feelings and needs that did not get set when they first tried to be understood because people are triggered so they're they're triggered and if we don't repair quickly those stereotypes about our partner, those fear stories that we carry about our partner, and the nervous system agitation that goes with the triggering, that all gets stored into our memories, and we want to catch those unfortunate communication patterns before they get to be habits. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's important to institute new habits of communication right away after a misunderstanding and then you haven't built up all 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 that extra unfinished business with each other. No, no, yeah, no. if I could go ahead, on sure, go that. Ahead, go ahead. Um, Most people think
2: they're arguing over conflicts around issues like sex, money, the kids, the mess around the house, how the dishwasher ought to be loaded, um, whether things are fair or not. And they stick to those topics thinking that that's what's really been disturbed or what's really disturbing them. Whereas something far simpler and more deep on an emotional level has really been triggered. For instance, maybe someone uh, thought that they weren't important to the other person. That's why they never loaded the dishwasher the way that they had advised. Mm-hmm. Or the other person feels like, oh, they're not good enough for the other person. That's why they keep getting picked on and criticized for how they load the dishwasher. Do they ever stop and talk about this deeper thing? No. They 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 start defending themselves or attacking or instructing each other on dishwasher loading as just one example of getting lost in a, a content issue, whereas it's really a deeper, much simpler emotional thing that's been stirred up, which can be repaired very quickly, if you know what it is. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing in the book is like teaching this much simpler, easier language. You could call it the language of lasting love.
0: Now, not not to bag on any parents or anyone's parenting, but so many of these things have their origins in childhood, don't they?
2: Absolutely. Actually, it's the origin is... get passed on so I wouldn't like put the parents to blame for what we're experiencing because they didn't get the education either from their parents it kind of goes back multi-generationally everybody every parent is trying to do their best and and they do love their children but they don't possibly they don't have this simple repertoire this simple language to pass on so we don't see our parents doing this kind of repair with each other how well where are we going to learn We don't necessarily see them doing that kind of repair with us either, so how are we going to learn it? Uh, Well, we have to learn it with each other now as adults, and luckily in the last, oh, let's say, 10, 15 years, uh, the whole field of couples therapy is changing, and we're now understanding these deeper, simpler things that are actually reparative and how to teach couples to to use these simple linguistic tools.
0: Talk about some of the, the common indicators that the relationship is moving in a sort of downward trajectory. Well, well one of
1: the exercises in the book is to guide individuals and couples to look at what are the early warning spot signals mm-hmm. that say that your vicious reactive cycle, your recurring reactive cycle, is happening. That reactive cycle where he he gets. Shut down when he hears her criticism, and she starts to criticize when she sees him shut down. Any anything that's interpreted that way, even it can it might not even be uh, very serious criticism, but if it's heard that way, so we uh, coach couples and there's exercises to help them learn what are those early warning signs. My heart rate goes fast. My Heat rises in my face. a uh, Story goes on my mind, like she's always criticizing me. And underneath that is, I'm afraid I'm not good enough for her. That type of thing. Mm-hmm. Or for the, or for the other type on the other side of that cycle, the, the one who's trying to get a, atten- trying to get this partner's attention by criticizing and prodding. Her deeper fear might be, I don't matter to this person. So we help people realize that most of the time your fear stories are an indication that your vicious cycle has started and you're going to start digging yourself into a hole and saying things you don't mean, like criticizing or stonewalling or getting defensive. You're going to start doing that. So we teach couples, when you see those early warning signs, when you feel them, when you feel your body getting hot, when you hear your mind chatter going a mile a minute, thinking, why doesn't this other person do such and such? that means you're triggered. So then we have a process where we teach couples to stop right there, stop communicating, and pause. And the and the thing
2: is that over time, when you don't do repair, when you don't know these simple things to straighten out these misunderstandings, then they build up over time. They, they tend to accumulate. So early in a relationship, it's relatively easy to catch something and repair it. It's like... Um, Say the road to lasting love has a few bumps on it, and uh, you can walk along and get some pebbles in your shoes, and they're a little irritating. Well, you can stop together and shake out the pebbles. But if you don't know how to do that kind of quick repair, then pretty soon, a couple years later, you're walking along and it feels like you have rocks in your shoes. And then little things, little incidences, seem to get escalated way out of proportion. And every couple knows what that feels like. And then suddenly they feel like they're walking on rocks or eggshells, as it's commonly called. Those are signs that repair has not been done along the path, that it's built up. And then pretty soon, ultimately, it'll feel like you're walking around with boulders in your shoes. And that's when people just give up because they don't know what to do. And still, I've found and students found that even after decades of suffering like that, once a couple really understands what's going on on this deeper level and has simple tools to repair, it's amazing how quickly they can even fall back in love again.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I've, I can remember just uh, in childhood seeing so many uh, of people of my parents' age staying in the marriages and relationships for a long, long time, and they seem almost perfectly, um, for lack of a better word, dysfunctionally compatible. I'm wondering, do... Do we send out signals to these people to to sort of push our buttons? Is is there something we do to to attract them?
2: I don't think that it's that simple. I mean, we have the buttons. And when we get into a primary attachment relationship, our brains will start scanning our partner as if they're our parents. Parents or previous partners who hurt or injured us and never repaired that. And so the wounds, like, come up. I What I used to say is that love brings up anything unlike itself for healing, which means the wounds in our closets, the buttons that we have, ultimately want to come up to be healed by our partner and vice versa, but we just don't know these simple tools to do it.
1: And, you know, any couple, as they go through their life together, differences are going to emerge of this Polarized. And that's the beginning of that vicious cycle we were talking about where people start to have the same fight over and over and over. So it might look like they got together for that dysfunctional compatibility, but it is an actually normal thing in the differentiation process of getting to know each other, getting to know really deeply another human being. So our tools will help you to curious about your differences, to listen through the differences, to hold the uncomfortableness of a difference, and when you start to go off the rails and take the differences personally and start making up uh, scary stories about your partner and what their behavior means, bring it back to what you're really feeling and what you're needing. And it's interesting to consider,
2: how does a relationship start and then where does it evolve to or devolve to? And I think that but you'd agree that most relationships start with great hope mm-hmm. and, and great joy, and people are open to each other. They are very loving. It has such great promise. Even your parents, who ended up dysfunctional and uh, looking dysfunctional, started in this glorious way. What happened? Well, what happened primarily is they never knew how to repair. It. A little in terms of the brain science behind it, there's really two brains, you could simplify, oversimplify neuroscience. There's the higher brain, which is our loving brain, and then there's more primitive instinctual survival. down, freeze system, as if, you know, there's a predator that that's in the room instead of your loving partner. Underneath it all, people are still loving each other, but if these other feelings directed by the primitive brain are taking over. You would call it the warring brain, unfortunately, instead of the loving brain.
0: Now, In your work, uh, have you seen physical manifestations of these um, uh, sort of antagonistic uh issues that go on and on and on, what kind of, are they, are they coming out in physical ways? Um, oh,
2: absolutely, absolutely. You see, uh, to extend the brain science metaphor a little bit more, the alarm system of the brain is always scanning the environment of other humans, looking at faces, listening to voice tones, gestures, body movements, and evaluating, is this a friend or a foe? Well, nowhere is this going to be more serious than with your primary partner, who's actually, the two of you form a kind of biological pairing or survival unit. And so you really need that to be your best friend in the world, the person who has your back. But then... and you don't even understand you trigger them, you are going to get triggered by the look on their face, and by the time they come into therapy, you see this, you know, in the room, you see how their faces are reacting to each other, so it's it's all being manifested in a a biological, physical way.
0: Our guests on this Chief for Yourself are Dr. Susan Campbell and Dr. John Gray, co-authors of 5-Minute Relationship Repair. Quickly heal upsets, deepen intimacy, and use differences to strengthen love. Couples have a way of of not saying what's on their minds, oftentimes speaking in code or any number of ways of not being straightforward. Are you seeing one particular reason more than another? Is it fear or pride or even something more devious?
1: Well, there are a variety of core fears that most of us have grown up with such as the fear of rejection, let's let's say uh, either I had trouble being listened to around the dinner table, or I experienced some rejection in school, or fear of abandonment. I I, w- I wasn't given enough loving attention. I mean, all of us have various fears like that: fear of being controlled, criticized, uh, judged. So all of these are. What are the fears that keep us not saying what we really need to say uh, because we don't want to get the partner upset with us because one of those early early origin fears could get triggered and uh, oh, humans are naturally uh, phobic around that kind of um, emotional pain. Plus, it sets off a nervous system reaction, as John was telling us, that it, is, it scares you to death, so you go into either fight, flight, or freeze because it triggers that alarm system that is tied with, oh my God, I am disconnected from the one I love. I'm being rejected, I'm being abandoned, I'm being criticized by, so John used the term, your primary survival unit. I'm being rejected here in my primary survival unit, and so... That's a very scary thing to the nervous system. It's 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 actually a nervous system event when you start to feel rejected or abandoned, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing about the primary survival unit uh, and
2: in brain science and uh, human research, it's called attachment or attachment theory. The primary bond. Your your partner represents a very special person in the world to you. Nobody's more important so this brings up attachment needs and depending on how we're raised uh, most of us end up feeling very uncomfortable having that kind of need and so instead of directly saying what's going take over and they can't sort out that um, issue what's required is, is vulnerability and most people are not comfortable with that so they will push people away or they will um, blow up or do something instead of just say, hey To just be yourself and not worry about it and know that you're loved the way you are, and then you can sort out these little issues like how dishwashers ought to be loaded.
0: Mm-hmm. There was a time when the uh, person in that house, that home, uh, loading that dishwasher was the woman, the mother, uh, the partner, a female partner. Uh, today, gender roles uh, having changed somewhat, is that uh, throwing any new wrenches into this process, new problems that you're seeing?
2: Well, yeah, it it certainly has confused things and and we live in a much more complex world now. But on the other hand, um, we may have seen simpler role, gender-based roles with our parents. But as you mentioned, it looked like a lot of dysfunctional relationships back then because they didn't really have this language of lasting love, the ability to be vulnerable and authentic on this level either. So you could say, along with the complexity, we're also developing at the same time this new opportunity to really deepen our romantic relationships and experience a deeper, more authentic intimacy than any previous generation has. So with the challenges come new opportunities.
0: There there are couples who have the whole relationship thing down and it seems easy for them. What are those couples doing or not doing that we can use as a good example?
1: Well, we call those couples in our book, Secure Functioning Couples, and that term comes from attachment theory where we discover that some of us are more securely attached individuals. That is, we trust life more, that that the world's a friendly place. Uh, Secure Functioning Couples tend to see the partner as a friend more easily and tend to assume that if I ask for what I need, Or if I say, gee, I was hurt by your comment, they just sort of naturally assume that that's going to be accepted by the partner. And that's uh, contrasted to a more insecure functioning couple where you uh, often assume the worst when you get that uh, eye rolling or just, you know, just some kind of a non-smiley look on the face. Uh, uh, You can more easily get uh, your survival alarm triggered. Uh, So... Since we're all a little bit insecure as couples and as individuals most most of us, it's really important to have this quick repair process right available because a secure couple it, the insecure couple can learn how to function as a secure functioning couple by using the five minute relationship repair tool where they get more soft and vulnerable and learn learn to feel safe with each other and safe enough to speak, I need reassurance that I matter to you. I need reassurance that you accept me the way I am.
2: It's, Susan said it very well, and we've focused on this um, primary skill of the ability to quickly repair things, to shake the pebbles out and move on together as friends and partners. That's a primary skill that secure couples bring into relationship, primarily because they saw it in childhood with their parents. And frankly, when they were children, if they cried and had uh, upset feelings, they had parents who quickly repaired with them. So it all got built into their brains just to operate this way, to even expect it from the other person, so it's no big deal if we get into a discussion about dishwasher because we know we can sort it out. Those of us who never were exposed to this, we can actually learn it, and that will rewire our our relationship to operate securely. Hmm. And it doesn't take that long to learn it. it. It just takes two dedicated people who realize that the reactive cycles they get into are tearing their relationship apart, and they want to do something different.
0: Susan mentioned uh, the eye rolling, uh, and, and I'm, I'm thinking of guys here, being a guy, a card carrying guy. One, uh, one of the uh, small practices that you mentioned in the book that uh, can pay some pretty big dividends is the hugging practice. Now, is there a good way that a guy can know when it's okay to sort of reach out and give a hug?
1: Well, anytime you see that your partner seems to be agitated in some way, we help couples in the book communicate and and kind of dissect what are the early warning signals of my partner being triggered. Mm-hmm. So I'm not only attuning better to myself and my own cues, I learn to attune to my partner's cues. So if, if my partner seems to uh, be upset or starting to complain about something, I might say, I wouldn't just run over and hug my partner. I would say, it seems like maybe you need a hug now. Could I give you a hug? like that because we have found and brain research has found an attachment theory too that it's easy to soothe a frayed nervous system if we apply loving touch loving attention gentle voice tones reassuring words and eye contact that is sustained and open
2: and these were the very things offered to us as children when we were upset If we got offered that often enough, then we would have been wired to be secure. Um, These are biological mechanisms or they're messages that you're safe. And one human gives that to the other and nobody is as powerful in giving that as a parent to a child or intimate partners with each other. But you might run into issues if you, you haven't become clear as a couple of the power of this. So I would also suggest Uh, there's a whole chapter in our book about the power of this and in biology it's called co-regulation. One nervous system is regulating the other and back and forth that really secure couples engage in a lot of this kind of interactive regulation, interactive soothing of one another if they notice anybody's getting out of kilter. Those of us who, who haven't done that as a practice, actually it's very beneficial to understand its power and to start using it consciously uh, as a couple, as
0: a team. Mm -hmm. And I want to mention, too, that uh, one of the uh, features of the book is the uh, use of scripts that uh, a reader can uh, use in a situation where maybe they're not that comfortable with uh, coming up with the words. You go from start to finish through uh, a hypothetical situation, and uh, and, it, and it's very helpful, isn't it? I'm sure you're seeing great progress uh, with people using those scripts.
1: Yeah, this is just like a self-guided workbook for couples mm-hmm. to take them through everything they need to know to stay in good communication with each other and not not let these issues build up. We we have all all these scripts, not just for the repair process but also for listening across differences, like repeating back and responding in a reassuring way to what you're hearing. Uh, we, we have these little worksheets that help people identify what, what are the words that make sense to me to tell my partner my vulnerable core needs, like I need reassurance that I matter to you, those kind of statements. We help them find the words, because this isn't their main vocabulary, the way most of us were raised in this achievement-oriented culture. Mm -hmm.
2: For uh, several years, we've developed these scripts and used them in uh, our counseling practices with them to use the simple, simple language of lasting love uh, that most of us were not taught in childhood how to really break down a triggering event into its component core features on the authentic level and to just simply repair them very quickly in five minutes. And Susan and I have both seen this work in real time with couples in front of us. What's incredibly gratifying is hearing from so many readers that the
0: Before we wrap up, I, I do want to mention that the tools in 5-Minute Relationship Repair are also useful for couples who are not having a hard time. What kinds of skills are uh, are best for those who who don't necessarily push each other's buttons? What can they keep in mind?
1: Well, one of the things that uh, we offer is a clearing practice. You know, just regularly clearing the air, checking in with your partner. Are we okay? Because so we get so busy with our tasks, or even with just having a good time, that maybe there were just a few unfinished conversations. You know, I didn't quite understand what you meant by that. Uh, Did you mean this? You know, just just things like that that keep misunderstandings from building up over time. So we we offer clearing practices, and we also offer deeper self-awareness exercises, like looking at some of the automatic communications the communication habits that you have that just cut down on your intimacy and authenticity with each other, like managing your partner when they get upset rather than telling your partner how you feel or reassuring your partner. When I say managing, maybe trying to talk some sense into their head, being reasonable when your partner just needs a hug or some empathy. So, um, these are we call these the control patterns. They're all the ways that we automatically use communication. And we got a list of about three pages of these, John. Mm-hmm. Where couples can just go through and say, "Yeah, I do that one." You know, I yeah. smile and nod to make you think I'm listening to you, when really I'm just rehearsing, and yeah. and uh, I go along to get along sometimes. And so we have, you know, this long list, and couples who are um, just interested in knowing themselves better, share this kind of activity, and they wind up really opening up deeper levels of communication. It's like I know my partner's hidden parts, and I can trust my partner to realize that their behavior is sometimes unconscious, and we can say, oh, there's a control pattern. Let's, Let's interrupt right now and see what the real feelings are that need to be said. Stop managing me and tell me what you want and what you feel, that type of thing. And uh, let let me take on to that, because
2: when you were introducing the program and you mentioned um, how you're in support of living the authentic life, it really was gratifying for me to hear that, because what we're talking about here is an authentic, lively connection and keeping that very alive and thriving and vibrant. And... In our complex lives today, as we get caught up in our work or other other tasks or goals, we can start to take the relationship for granted. And these tools are like little wake-up calls you can use in a daily way to add uh, spice, to add loving feelings in intentionally. You don't have to wait until there's an upset to uh, reassure your partner that they're the best thing that ever happened to you or to give them a big hug. What if you had a... Ritual, when they came home, the uh, first thing that happens, even before the kids or the dog or anything else, that you go to them, they come to you as a couple, and you really hug deeply and look into each other's eyes and say exactly how
0: meaningful you are to each other. That sparks an aliveness that I bet that evening will result in much better lovemaking making. Well, good enough to uh, end on. Do you want to uh, give us your website so we can find out more? It's
2: 5minuterelationshiprepair.com. minute right, that's pretty
1: much spelled it. F-I-V-E, and on that website, uh, when you get the book, you can go there and download a free workbook that we offer on the website that have all the worksheets and tools so that you can reprint them because you're probably going to need some of those worksheets more than once. And also, you get a free ebook, um,
2: "Rewiring Your Brain for Lasting Love," mm-hmm. just for uh, signing up for our email
0: list. Right, right. Lots of value. The book uh, is five to repair, quickly heal upset, deepen intimacy, and use differences to strengthen love. From our guest, Dr. Susan Campbell and her co-author, Dr. John Gray. You, uh, two have given us lots to think about and to work on, along with uh, some great tools to make positive change. I want to thank you both for being with us today and invite you to come back and talk with us again. Good luck. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, thanks. There will be a link to help you find out more about Susan Campbell and John Gray and 5-Minute Relationship Repair, and you'll find them at chiefforyourself.com. Also, I want to say thanks to everyone who subscribed to Genulines and is getting the blog post. Our community now well into the thousands, and I am most grateful for that. If you haven't subscribed yet, go to the start page of ChiefForYourself.com and enter your email address into the box provided there, and you'll stay up to date on things like future show topics and guests. Well, that's going to do it for now. We'll leave it right there. Thanks very much for being with us today. Be well, and I'll talk to you soon.